Hour number two of Canuck Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Uh, this text comes in. Yannick with a dagger to reach his heart by demoting Phil DiGiuseppe at the end there. Ooh. Yeah, man. It's tough That's a tough break. That's tough. That's I don't know. Tough. They've been the Canucks' best line so far, so I'm 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 good with it. Yeah. Is that is that because of Phil or JT being a stud? Uh it's probably because of JT. <laughs> That's it's been, it's been a tough couple of games down. for Phil. Probably because of JT. Probably. Although we can't tell for sure. Who's to say? Uh, am I allowed, allowed to dunk on everybody, though, for, for JT? Uh, like, we've been the... the oh, wow. Uh, look, JT's been off to a great start. I'll just say that. We've been yeah, the pro JT show here. You're, you're not wrong. I, I will say, though, um, we're four games in, people. I remember... <laughs> like, hey, I, JT was... Four games in last year, JT was uh, among one of the worst players, so... No, fair enough, man. Absolutely fair enough. I mean, and honestly, last year, this team was, what, 0-7 to start the year? 0-5-2, so like, yeah. Oh, the season was over pretty much after the first seven mm-hmm. games, right? And they were, weren't going to recover after that. Those are bad memories. So, yeah, I don't want to really think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Yet here we are talking about it. It like brings back cold chills. But uh, honestly, like I, th- I think we're at a point where, like I mentioned in the first segment, and we'll get to the questions in a second, there's, uh, there's this big rush to be right about the team or there's this fear of being right about the team or being wrong about the team. And right. every game there's these crazy swings going back and forth. Actually, it's been you know two bad games in a row, or at least two losses in a row, where the swings have been very negative. And one needs to take a collective breath, though. Just take a breath. Mm. Don't try to dunk on anybody yet. It's it's too early to do that. Take a breath. Uh, these are the words of Sat. Uh, take a breath <laughs> and relax. You got seventy eight more of these uh, before the yeah. season is done. Uh, all right, good advice. Uh, Dan Richo, Sat, Tr shots. The mailbag. Let's get to it here on a Friday. Producers uh, Josh Elliott-Wolf and Elon Chark with us for the mailbag this Friday. Josh? Hello. Hi, Josh. Uh, first one comes from Jay. Sat liked this question, so oh, we did have to he? start with it. Okay. Uh, how do you weigh the fact that the entire blue line outside of Quinn Hughes is struggling and many guys are doing far worse on paper versus weighing the egregious visible errors leading directly to goals against from Myers in terms of the heating takes. I read that poorly, but you, you get the, you guys can read it. You know, <laughs> you, what get the gist. You, you get the gist. Now, the one thing I would say too, is like, if you look at the underlying numbers, I mean, Hughes and Heronic have both have both have better underlying numbers than, um, Tyler Myers does, right? I think the two guys people are pointing to is Ian Cole and Carson Soucy. Now, Carson Soucy's played two games, limited minutes. I've seen some good things offensively from him. However, defensively, it's a guy trying to come back and play, and he clearly is, is not 100%. So I can, I can agree with that in terms of he hasn't looked great, but he's trying to find his way back in. Even if the underlying numbers show that Ian Cole has not been as good as Tyler Myers, I think the numbers are leading us astray here because I think just by the eye test alone, Ian Cole has been more than fine. He's been really good defensively, I think. I think he's been making a lot of good plays. Haven't been too many times he's made mistakes. And if you look at the numbers, the breakdown of the numbers here too, Ian Cole has played the most minutes with Tyler Myers. And Tyler Myers has played the most minutes at even strength with Ian Cole. They played 45 minutes together. During that time, they have an expected goals for percentage of 33.8%. Now, when Ian Cole plays with Philip Hironik, who's been his who has been his second most consistent partner, they're at 50.3% 
goals for percentage. And when Ian Cole plays on the PK and other roles, he looks more than fine. The numbers being poor are mostly attributed to him playing alongside Tyler Myers. Now, Myers, when he's had different D partners, the most he's spent with somebody is Quinn Hughes. He's played seven minutes with Quinn Hughes. And the reason his numbers look better is because during those seven minutes with Quinn Hughes, their expected goals for percentage is 80%. And also, my boy, Akira Hirose, is the other uh, common partner that um, Myers has had. And they've played about six minutes together. And their expected goals is like 60, almost 70% together. So you look at those minutes, and they're more soft minutes in terms of deployment. His numbers have been okay, especially playing alongside Quinn Hughes. So I would say I'd be very careful in citing these numbers and say, well, Cole's numbers have been worse. Ergo, he's been better than Myers because Myers has only been making egregious mistakes. I think Cole's numbers have suffered because he's been playing with Tyler Myers the most. And Myers has not been good unless he's been carried by Quinn Hughes. So I'd be very careful in and taking the big conclusions, draw big conclusions from these numbers and, and really say this is why it's happening. Because just by the eye test alone, I think clearly Ian Cole has been fine. And I'd be very careful with being too critical with his play based on a four-game sample, especially when he's played 45 minutes with Tyler Myers. We're at the stage where it's such a small sample that it's it's easier to still look at, at each game uh, with its individual context mm-hmm. and, and evaluate it that way, right? If you look at the, the shot attempts, like they've been the Canucks outside of uh, the second game against the Oilers, the Canucks shot attempt-wise have been fine, pretty much even with their opponents through these through the other three games outside of that second one against the Oilers. So, you know, on that sense, fairly positive. It's very difficult to look at the scoring chance numbers knowing the Canucks were just far and away the second best team against the Philadelphia Flyers. For whatever reason, they didn't have their legs. They didn't have the same effort that the Flyers did. As Yannick just told us, it's almost one you've got to throw away because mm-hmm. uh, it, they just they clearly didn't have it. It's almost uh, there's not a lot that you can take away from that game. And the second game against the Oilers, again, yeah, very um, very lopsided in terms of the chances. Canucks took a lot of penalties. They scored on a few of their goals. And they were clearly, um, you know, sort of living on that lead in the in the third period of that game. And they did it pretty well, if you actually look at the scoring chances of the third period in that game. A lot of the scoring chance numbers sat. And I've been wanting to talk about this since uh, the, the game against Philly, where the Canucks were outshot 22-3 to in the second period. But you even look at the game against Edmonton, the second one, they were terrible in the second. A lot of the Canucks' uh, terrible moments have come in the second period of games. Mm -hmm. It goes back to even last year where they were minus 27 goal difference-wise in the second period. I don't know exactly what it is about the second, if it's the long change or whatever it is. They stink in second periods, and it's something that they've got to figure out because they are consistently now it's three out of the four games where they've just been, you know, dominated in the second period, even if they haven't been 
been clearly dominated on the scoreboard in the second period of games. Yeah, that's certainly a trend that has to improve. And when you look at some of the play we saw, obviously against the Flyers, they had their worst period in the second period. They were good for half the period. And then once the fly, uh, the Lightning took over the other night, it was just pure domination. And they were fortunate to skate uh, to skate out of that second period, only being down by one goal, right? And if we start looking at some of the other rates, because I think one thing to look at, to me, uh, one of the things I really try to defensively sometimes really hone in on is how many high danger chances are you giving up and not just the raw numbers because the raw numbers can be misleading based on how many minutes you play because you know Harona's been playing what 24 minutes a game Cole's been playing 21 minutes a game and Ian Cole has never played over 20 minutes a game in a season he's on pace to play almost 22 minutes a game this year which tells you he's playing a significant role Myers is averaging about 18 minutes a game and look at these numbers here Carson Soucy has been on for high danger scoring chances against per 60. I think if you look at the per 60 numbers, we tell you more about the rate of chances that are happening when he's on the ice relative to other guys. Soucy's in his, in his lowest time has been the worst defenseman, 19.4 high danger chances per 60 against. Noah Juleson is second at 19.03 high danger chances against. Then third worst amongst the blue liners is Tyler Myers at 17.72. Cole is a whole number below at 16.22. Hronik is at 16, and Hughes is at 15.56. So you can make the case that he's been steadier than Susie and Juleson, and I think that's fair. And again, Susie's played limited minutes, but Cole, Hronik, and Hughes have significantly less high-danger chances going against them when they're on the ice compared to Tyler Myers. Next one, we'll kind of combine to uh, Austin and Langley. Do you think Tyler Myers would look better on the left, the right, or left right out and Josh is it time to scratch Myers and see what this group looks like without I don't uh, I just don't foresee a situation right now where Rick Tockett scratches Tyler Myers uh, well he's, he said so essentially yeah I mean he said so so it's it's hard like would I like to see it in favor of more Noah Juleson minutes I mean, I don't know. Now that you have kinda, Mark Friedman. Yeah. Now that you have Mark I mean, Friedman. But it's still not an answer, though, right? I mean, Mark Friedman's number is six, seven. Like, he's a six on a good day, a seven defenseman on some teams. And some teams, like you saw with the Penguins, he's in the minors because he's like number eight or nine yeah. or ten on their depth chart, right? So that's the type of player he is. You have to manage your expectations. But what what I like about him is he's a gamer and I've spoken to some people around the league that know him well and the, and the guys he get, he gets compared to are Troy Stetcher he's compared to guys like Alex Biega plays with a lot of heart plays hard you know will give you an honest effort and generally won't make a ton of mistakes but is going to be pretty limited in terms of any generation or any puck movement that's consistent is that steadier than playing Tyler Myers 17 minutes a game alongside somebody? Potentially, but even that's not a perfect solution. The Canucks so far, their biggest issue has been they haven't found a defenseman internally or externally that can take over Tyler Myers' minutes. And to me, that's an organizational failing more than it is a Tyler Myers failing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm afraid, like, I, I don't think, maybe for one game, you could see it and see how it goes. But, you know, a lot of guys can have success for one game. If you do a stretch of games without Tyler Myers, you'd see and feel where Myers is missed uh, on the PK a lot of the time. He's had some really ugly moments uh, in these last two games, but you know, there's just not a better option 
and it's as you say, sad, a failing on the organization. I wonder if you know how much they are trying to just make this work until they can potentially sign Ethan Bear to a contract. But here's the thing with Ethan Bear, guys. He's not going to be the solution. He's not and if not you, a long-term solution, but he might be better for now. No, no, true. But even for now, like when are you going to expect to see Ethan Bear play for this team and also play at a level where he's decent? I mean, he, he missed. He's had surgery in the offseason. He's recovering, right? So he might be healthy to play, let's say, in December. When are you going to see decent Ethan Bear? Maybe, by, maybe, maybe if you're lucky, late yeah. January. Yeah. Most likely in Feb. So, I mean, Ethan Bear is not going to save the season, guys. It's not. That's not going to be what's going to be the savior. What Ethan Bear can help you do is if this team is in a playoff spot or fighting for a playoff spot, they get him into the lineup and he gets up to speed. And as you get into the final stretch of the year and you're in the mix, all of a sudden he can help you out and help you get over that hump and, and perhaps help you get into the postseason. I think that's the greatest thing a guy like Ethan Bear can help. But if we're expecting Ethan Bear to come and help this team before the 50-game mark, I don't know, man. I think we all have to pump the brakes on Ethan Bear being an answer anytime soon. Yeah, you need uh, you need this situation to start working out better than it has the last two, three games. This one from Hassan. What does Beauvillier do, and how worried should we be about Kuzmenko? He's looked invisible out there. He's a National Hockey League forward. <laughs> he plays left wing for the Vancouver Canucks. This feels like the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anthony Beauvillier, what does he do? Um, well, last Tell year he scored some big goals for here. the Canucks. Uh, he, he's, he hasn't done enough. You know, I know he played better last night, but again, it's just when Beauvillier's on the ice, a whole lot of nothing has been happening. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess on either end. I don't think he's been on the ice for a goal for or a goal against uh, to this point at five on five. So there's that, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, they need more out of him. He's getting paid four million bucks. They need more out of him. They do, and I, and I did think for the most part against Tampa, we saw more forechecking from him, especially the first half of the game. He was very active. He was on top of things, and you saw a better effort from him. I've seen other people mention. You know, I got DMs. I've been getting messages about like, why aren't you guys talking about trading Anthony Bavillier? And I'm like, well, we we brought it up, but here's the thing about Anthony Bavillier. There's no market for him right now. No. I mean, right now, even though he's an expiring at the end of the season, no team has cap space, and teams looking for forward help aren't looking for a twi- like a people, guy making think, four million bucks that's not scoring, right? And also, like we talk about Garland being like Garland has, is a better offensive player than um, Bavillier is, and even Garland's hard to move because his contract's obviously more onerous, has two years left on it as well beyond this year. But for Bavillier, like he's not playing at a level, and he's not productive enough for any team to be like, you know what, we're sitting here today on October. Uh, 20th, he's going to be the solution to our scoring woes. We don't have cap space. Let's go carve out $4 million to Adam. There's no market right now for Anthony Bavillier. The only time market for him is going to develop closer to the deadline and if he starts playing better. What I You're will stuck say, with him trying to get better. That's it. Yeah. What I will say is uh, if Bavillier strings together a couple of better performances here, I'd like to see him move back up with, with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Until but, Mikheyev comes back. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe even try that tomorrow against Florida yeah. because, like, I just don't love Garland up there. And I think uh, you mentioned this earlier in the show, uh, and, and I think it's quite right at a great observation. Just I think you're not noticing Kuzmenko as much because Garland is on that line and Garland tends to be uh, a very puck dominant player. And you're not seeing Kuzmenko on the puck as much as you would have last season. So, 
it's just it's not a great fit there with with Connor Garland on the top line. But I think they're doing it to to try and showcase Garland a little bit too. And and I don't I just don't know if it works all that well. Next one from Justin and East Van. Will the Canucks finish with a record over five hundred at the end of this road trip? Yes. Over five hundred at the end of the road trip. Over five hundred. Yeah. So I think just the five games of the road trip. So they would need a win and an OT loss at the very least. Win and an OT yes. loss. That you would know, be I, I, 500 points percentage, above 500 points percentage. Yeah, so basically you have to pick up three points in the next two games. You know what? Considering how the season has gone and how, what the narrative is around the team, I'm going to say yes. Because I, I would, like, if everyone's thinking, oh, they're going to come back now two and four or maybe three and three, and they'll probably surprise us and pick up three or four points in the next two. Yeah, they're... Uh, I think they get a win against Florida tomorrow, and then we'll see how the uh, last game of the road trip goes in Nashville. All right, next one. Uh, Andrew, I was wondering if the Canucks are looking to get a guy who can take care of business like a legit heavyweight. I ask this every single year, and the answer is always no. Bottom line is that the Canucks keep getting pushed around year after year, and they need an enforcer. But who's an enforcer you can get to take a regular shift? Because we can sit here and say, bring an enforcer all you want. The coach isn't going to play a guy who can't take a regular shift. I saw Zach McEwen on waivers. I mean, unless they feel like Zach McEwen can take a regular shift, he'll probably be stapled as a 13 forward. And maybe he'll play a few games here and there. And, and okay, he, he brings some toughness. But what you need is to add somebody who can take a regular shift or at least play 10 minutes a game or nine minutes a game. And you feel okay about it. Who can be a deterrent? And I'm, and again, uh, we mentioned Ryan Reeves. I was okay with the team maybe pursuing Ryan Reeves, right? Because of the intangibles. And, you know, he got priced out too many years, a bit too much money. But you see what happens. Even Ryan Reeves, who plays, what, seven, eight minutes a game, he got 1.35 for three years, whatever it was. It's, it's still, you know, quite a bit for a guy who doesn't play a lot. And if you want anybody at a higher caliber, number one, you pay a lot for them. And number two, well, it's not going to be easy to acquire because you have to give something significant to get, to get it. They're, they're like, it's just, they're expensive. And the guys that are actually good or can take a regular shift, even on a fourth line, they get snapped up pretty quickly, and they tend to get a little bit of term around the league, too. Uh, the two great examples are the ones in Philadelphia that we just saw. Nick Delorier got, what, a four-year deal from the Flyers last year in free agency? Mm-hmm. And even Garnet Hathaway, great fourth liner in, in Washington for a lot of years. This past summer got uh, two years close to $2.5 million from from the Philadelphia Flyers. Canucks just didn't have that kind of cap space to do things like that. And there, there seems to be a lot of teams that um, they seem to end up on teams that are, you know, earmarked for tanking type seasons, you know, be the good guy in the room, protect some of our young players, set an example. Those types of teams that tend to have a little bit extra cap space, they end up signing those guys to contracts that are a little too rich for teams that are right up against the cap. Next one comes from uh, Tosh. Do you think Good Branson has the Canucks on his modified no trade clause? I would imagine yes. You think so? Yes. You think? Um, he might. He might. <laughs> I, I uh, personally, now, like, I don't know this personally, but I would imagine Eric Good Branson got sick and tired of hearing how much people hated him here in this market. Yeah, I think that's part of it. He might have the Canucks on the no-trade clause, and I think part of the reason why that's being asked is 
with all the rumors around the Columbus Blue Jackets and Garland and and perhaps them being willing to move uh, Eric Branson, could the Canucks turn around and get him, especially when you consider the fact that Jim Rutherford did trade for ta- for uh, for Eric Goodbranson, he's the guy who saved the Vancouver Canucks from Eric Goodbranson by giving them Tanner Pearson some years back. So there is obviously that tie-in. Didn't he kind of say still... that he regretted the trade in the end? I think because he ended up moving him out pretty quickly yeah. too afterwards and stuff. And so so I would say that it's not going to happen. But I don't know. You know, <laughs> sometimes crazier things have happened in this market. But I, I see it unlikely. I think it's a, there's a good chance that he has the Canucks as a as a team he doesn't want to come come to. And I'm not sure the Canucks want to go down that road again. Again, as always, just as a reminder for uh, you know, modified no trade clause players and agents uh, tend to use these strategically to make it as big a list as possible. So, you know, taking out teams. Uh, that have little to no cap space doesn't do you a lot of good, right? Uh, but if you're smart about it, you can make your list even longer by you know, weeding out some teams that just you know aren't going to trade for you uh, and have a little bit of cap space. So uh can always be strategic with those no-trade clauses. But if I'm good Branson, I'm definitely having Vancouver on the no-trade clause. Justin, which athletic footwear brand has your loyalty? Ooh, athletic football. Oh, man, I ain't loyal. Oh. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm not loyal. I will say this. like, So for the gym and because of the sizing, I'm generally a Nike guy. I just find um, the sizing because for, for the shoe size I, I'm normally at, they fit the best. I find they're the best gym shoes. But when it comes outside of you know going to the gym and trainers, I'm pretty open. I like New Balance as well in terms of shoes. I got a couple of those. I like Vans. Um, yeah, for the summers, I like my Birkenstocks. Yeah. I ain't like loyal my... to the point where, like, uh, I prefer Adidas, but I don't. Adidas. Don't like the way you said that? What? Yeah, neither do I. Adidas. What? You're, by the way, you're also wearing a Nike hat right now <laughs> and an Adidas shirt, like, <laughs> as we're doing this. Worlds are colliding. Yeah. I, I ain't loyal. Who needs to be loyal? Anyways, I prefer Adidas, but uh, I'm, more, I'm more about... Uh, like I'll just wear whatever's comfortable. So, I'm I'm probably more of a Nike guy personally. Are you? Yeah. I feel like most people are. You know, it's a safe option. It, it is. It is a Popular safe option brand. in general. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's like a nice Nike, checkmark logo. Yeah, a lot of Nike shoes can also like um, you can get a different variety of them. Generally speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, good runners, good trainers, even some of the casual shoes. Yeah. Now, who doesn't love the Air Force Ones? Like, everybody seems to have them in our building. My partner's looking at me. She hates the Air Force Ones. She's, like, putting her thumb down. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of the Air Force Ones, actually. They're very comfortable shoes. They are um, comfortable. Sneaky under the radar that's making a comeback. Reebok. Yes, actually. I, I think they're owned by uh, Adidas. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That, might, that would ruin my whole day. A couple new uh, players in basketball as well. Joel Embiid signed with Skechers. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's why he's hashtag not my MVP. I think Harry right. Kane signed with Skechers too. Like, how has Tony Romo influenced all these guys to move to Skechers? Money. Money yeah. is what influences these people. <laughs> I don't people. think it was Tony Romo. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think it's the money to pay them. I mean, Under Armour, like what Steph Curry has Under Armour. Right, yeah. You know, I'm not like in love with Under Armour shoes in general. Are they good? Um, I can't say I I've know. ever had Under Armour. I haven't had a pair shoes. of Under Armour shoes. Yeah. Uh, question for Sat: 
Deal. Of the New Balance sneakers that you have, are any like the the dad sneakers? Oh no no I don't no. have any dad the, sneakers. The like white yet. blue ones that yes. Pete Carroll wears on the sidelines. <laughs> no no I don't have those ones yet. I think they're I uh, the two thousand two R's. Listen, I know I'm becoming, you know, old hockey man and I'm becoming, you know, older and more. I want to see Sat walk into the studio with dad shoes one day. Honestly, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Like if you if you wear them well enough, I bet I bet you could pull it off. The real dad energy. Yeah. 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 You know what? You you need a pair. uh, You need a pair of pants that aren't tapered, obviously. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, you look you look like a clown. That's going to be my next challenge. (laughs) I've been updating my wardrobe a lot. I'm going to add some. Dad New Balance shoes Get some real dad energy in here. Yeah. Uh, dad right, energy. We'll end with this one. Ashley, when you see kids riding their bikes through your neighborhood with their buds, do you think to yourself, which one of these kids will grow up and make riding their bike their main personality trait? <laughs> I had that thought today and felt like a real jerk. Happy Friday. <laughs> I don't think I've ever thought about that, but I do so appreciate I do appreciate the awkward, like the the random pettiness you have, <laughs> for no reason. Just the random thought. It's also yeah. a very Vancouver thing. Like, yeah, which one of these kids is going to end up, you know, riding their bike through the mountains uh, for and be that their have that be their main personality trait? We'll for the never stop this, talking about it. Well, in this economy, are those kids even going to be afford to own a house or a home or yeah. a car? <laughs> uh, probably not. So you got to got to got to get on the bike. I get on the bike. Gotta get Dang. on the bike. <laughs> um, I, I mean, look, you could say the same thing about like uh, a middle-aged white guy just becoming obsessed with golf. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> happened for me. Happened for me too. Yeah, uh, you're not middle-aged yet, though, Josh. You're still kind of young. Now it's just I, cool. cool. <laughs> I can't get over it this year's. I mean, listen, I'm I'm not one to talk because I'm not good at golf. You guys have seen me play; like I'm horrible. But like the amount of time Reach put in this year, and like the, the effort he put in, and, and then Josh mad. just shows up out of nowhere and just like <laughs> he shoots under eighty. It's like, what's going on? Yeah, Josh didn't shoot under eighty. Like, no, no, come on, don't don't under ninety though. Don't pump the tires even more than than they need to be. I don't know. I wasn't there. He wasn't there. Maybe I just I did not win one match against Josh this summer, and it was. Uh, it's keeping me up at night. Not gonna lie about it. You broke a hundred, though. It was I, I still dream about breaking a hundred. It yeah. was pathetic, <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> Just a tragic performance. Also, very long. tragic. Uh, all right, Ed Jovanovski is going to join us next. Uh, his take on uh, the Canucks season so far and uh, what to expect from Oliver Ekman Larson and the Florida Panthers. That is next on Canucks Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.